Welcome to a special bonus episode of Hot Off The Wire. In this edition of our daily news program, we feature a selection of stories covering a variety of topics. I'm Terry Lipschutz, Managing Editor of the National Newsroom at Lee Enterprises and your Curator of News. Be sure to subscribe to Hot Off The Wire through Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss daily news updates. And now, those stories from the Associated Press. Sometimes a story is more appealing than the truth. One reason for why conspiracy theories proliferate, according to experts. Alternative explanations for world events often not supported by the facts or conspiracy theories. The Associated Press took a look at the outsized role they play in our world. Antonio Perez considers himself a reformed conspiracy theorist. There was the idea that the reason I was miserable is because it was an outside force. It was very appealing to me. University of Miami professor Joe Uzinski says people believe for lots of reasons. It's not like people are getting bonked on the head or having some severe mental problem that leads them to these ideas. Everyone's trying to make sense of a very chaotic world. When something challenges people's understanding, they sometimes fill in the blanks with their best guesses or seek out voices of those who claim to know what's going on, and that may provide some comfort. I'm Julie Walker. Small Business Payroll Growth Moderates. I'm May Anderson, and this is Small Business Monitor. Payroll payments per small business moderated as 2023 came to a close. That's according to new data from Bank of America. The Bank of America report found that payroll payments rose 1.7% in December at small businesses. That's consistent with the rest of 2023, with payroll payments rising most months. But the report says the pace of payroll growth has slowed significantly from its peak in March 2022. The bank called data from its business clients with less than $5 million in annual revenue. The slowdown is not necessarily a negative. The moderation could indicate more sustainable payroll growth going forward. Small businesses have been pressured over the past two years due to inflation, high costs, and a labor crunch. But labor shortages are easing and wage inflation is starting to come down. May Anderson, New York. A crash test at the University of Nebraska found that electric vehicles can't handle the heavy weight of the nation's guardrail system. The test crash used an electric-powered pickup truck that was hurled towards a guardrail on a testing ground at the edge of the local municipal airport. The four-ton 2022 Rivian tore through a heavy guardrail and didn't slow down until it hit a concrete barrier yards away on the other side of the test. The concern around the crash test results come as popularity of electric vehicles rises and transportation officials are sounding alarms around the weight disparity between battery-powered vehicles and gas-powered ones. On the other hand, road safety officials say the heavy weight of the vehicles offers better protection to its occupants. I'm Haya Panjwani. Some of the grounded Boeing 737 MAX jets are back in the air after safety inspectors cleared them to fly. Alaska Airlines has been allowed to resume a limited number of flights with its MAX 9 jets, which were grounded earlier this month after a panel blew out the side of a jet that had just left Portland, Oregon, January 5th. We are emergency. We are depressurized. We do need to return back. Audio from LiveATC.net. The FAA ordered Alaska and United Airlines, which also uses the MAX 9, to conduct detailed visual inspections of the door plug and other components, adjust the fasteners, and fix any issues they find before putting the planes back into service. Elizabeth Lund is a Boeing vice president. Our customers are counting on us. 
The flying public is counting on us. FAA Administrator Mike Whitaker says after inspecting door plugs on 40 other jets, he's confident they will be safe as long as the new inspection process is followed. I'm Jackie Quinn. New research shows the return of sea otters and their appetites is helping to rescue a section of California marshland. Striped shore crab were contributing to erosion in California's Elkhorn Slough. It was really like more than Swiss cheese, it was triple Swiss cheese. Researcher Brian Silliman at Duke University says sea otters were brought into the area and they love to eat striped shore crabs. By eating that marsh crab and lowering its densities, they lowered the erosion effect of those crabs and thereby slowed the um, sloughing of the creek banks. Silliman says it's important to maintain marshes because they're the lifeblood of many communities. And it's very expensive to do. And the predators, by their re-entering into the system, help us stabilize them, help them regrow at a relatively small cost. Sea otters can also help kelp forest regrow by controlling the number of sea urchins that munch on kelp. I'm Ed Donahue. New research may help explain why women are far more likely than men to come down with autoimmune diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Tens of millions of Americans have an autoimmune disorder in which the body attacks itself, and about 80% of those patients are women. A new theory published in the journal Cell suggests that's because women have two X chromosomes. Men only have one. That extra X could be providing a toxic double dose of certain genes. They're supposed to be deactivated by a special type of RNA. But scientists believe a combination of genetic susceptibility and an infection or injury could trigger an immune system to run amok. A Stanford University dermatologist, Dr. Howard Chang, studying RNA and proteins that bind to the extra chromosome, detected links to skin-related autoimmune disorders and began studying triggers, eventually able to duplicate the process in male mice using the X chromosome. This research could lead to better ways to help detect autoimmunity. I'm Jackie Quinn. The maker of recalled sleep apnea machines has agreed to halt sales in the United States. Device maker Philips has recalled over 5 million pressurized breathing machines because of a risk that causes the machine's internal foam to break down over time. That would cause users to inhale tiny particles and fumes while they sleep. The problem was first announced in mid-2021, and efforts to repair the issue have dragged on for years. Under a new agreement between Philips, the Food and Drug Administration, and the Department of Justice, the company has agreed to continue servicing old machines, but stop the sale of new ones. Philips faces similar legal challenges in Canada, Australia, Israel, and Chile, according to a company update. I'm Haya Panjwani. A new federal report says the number of syphilis cases in the U.S. is rising. Officials at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say the rate of infectious syphilis cases rose 9% in 2022 and that the more than 207,000 cases is the highest count in the U.S. since 1950. They say syphilis is less common than other STDs, such as gonorrhea and chlamydia, but it's considered more dangerous. And while syphilis continues to have a disproportionate impact on gay and bisexual men, it's expanding in heterosexual men and women and increasingly affecting newborns. The CDC says gonorrhea cases dropped 9% in 2022, and chlamydia cases were relatively flat. I'm Donna Water. Recent allegations of research fakery at a leading cancer institute have turned a spotlight on scientific integrity. 
There are amateur medical detectives who are blowing the whistle on manipulation of images and other irregularities in published scientific research. One of them, 32-year-old Sholto David of Wales, is a scientist and a sleuth who flagged issues that he found with images posted in more than two dozen published papers by scientists at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which is affiliated with Harvard University. Many of those images appear to have duplicated segments, that would make the scientists' results on cell research look even stronger. The Cancer Institute's now requesting six retractions and 31 corrections. There are other champions of scientific integrity. They use special software and giant monitors to help them find flipped, duplicated, and stretched out images along with potential plagiarism. I'm Jackie Quinn. Things could get a little confusing for Nevada's Republican voters in February. Nevada will have two contests in February, a Republican and Democratic primary on February 6th and the Republican caucuses on February 8th. The Nevada Secretary of State is required to operate the primary, and that's where former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley will run. Former President Donald Trump will run in the caucuses operated by the state Republican Party. Sandra Cosgrove is the executive director of Vote Nevada. The winner of the caucus will be the person that gets the delegates to go to the Republican National Convention. What that essentially means is that Nikki Haley is skipping Nevada and is focusing on campaigning in her home state of South Carolina. I'm Donna Water. A new poll says U.S. adults are feeling a little better about the economy, but it's not boosting the president's popularity. 35% of U.S. adults who answered the poll, conducted by the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research, call the national economy good. That's an uptick from late last year's 30% and the 24% from a year ago. While 65% still call the economy poor, that's an improvement from the 75% who called it poor a year ago. And even though stocks have recently been near record highs, economic growth has accelerated and inflation has returned closer to the Federal Reserve's 2% target, the poll gives President Joe Biden an only 38% approval rating. His approval rating on handling the economy is 35%. Donna Water, Washington. France is downsizing the Paris 2024 opening ceremony crowd to around 300,000 spectators. The country's interior minister says some 300,000 spectators will be able to attend the opening ceremony of the Paris Olympic Games, about half the size of what was originally planned. Speaking on French TV channel France 2, the minister explained current plans would allow for 100,000 paying spectators for a waterside view and more than 220,000 people with free tickets on the river's upper embankments. Organisers had originally estimated that around 600,000 spectators could watch the ceremony. No reasons been provided for why they've revised those figures. The giant show on the River Seine on July 26 will mark the first time that an opening ceremony is held outside of a usual stadium setting. I'm Charles Delatesma. Mexico has confirmed that some Mayan ruin sites are inaccessible due to gang violence and land disputes. The Mexican government has confirmed that two well-known sites containing Mayan ruins are unreachable due to a toxic mix of cartel violence and land disputes. 
However, two tourist guides in the southern state of Chiapas have also said two other popular sites that the government are saying are still open can only be reached by passing through drug gang checkpoints. Though no tourist has been harmed so far and the government claims the sites are safe, many guides no longer take tour groups there. I'm Karen Chamas. Unmarked trucks packed with prison-raised cattle roll out of the Louisiana State Penitentiary, known as Angola. Here, men are forced to work, sometimes for pennies an hour or nothing at all. After being hauled down a country road to an auction house, the cows are bought by a local rancher and then followed by the Associated Press another 600 miles to a Texas slaughterhouse that supplies giants like McDonald's, Walmart, and Cargill. Intricate, invisible webs, just like this one, link some of the world's largest companies and most popular brands to jobs performed by prisoners across the country. This is according to a sweeping two-year investigation by AP reporters Robin McDowell and Margie Mason. Their reporting tied hundreds of millions of dollars worth of agricultural products to goods sold on the open market. For Mason and McDowell, it's the latest installment in their 10-year-long investigative series on forced labor and human rights abuses in Southeast Asia's fishing and palm oil industries, which feed into the supply chains of iconic U.S. brands. For us, we've been on the ground so many years doing these stories in Asia and really digging into the supply chains and understanding how it's just a spider web with globalization. That's AP reporter Margie Mason, joined now by Robin McDowell. And then both of us came back to America and we're kind of just shocked when we started looking at prison labor, like what's the difference? People who are forced to work aren't getting paid or paid you know, pennies an hour, are punished if they refuse, can't unionize, can't protest. And so to us, it was kind of an eye-opener coming to America as foreign correspondents in a way, seeing the country through fresh eyes and seeing like, oh, all of these companies that have policies in place that prohibit this and will specifically say like, we don't tolerate prison labor in any form are buying directly from prisons. We're seeing it through so many different lenses and looking at the supply chain and really trying to kind of unravel it. And we see that you've got these really big companies like Cargill buying directly from prison farms. And then when you start to look at the supply chain, we start to see how Cargill is such a huge multinational company that it is connected to the supply chains of just so many other companies. It's just like unraveling a sweater. One of the ideas that we had was let's try to follow the cattle and try to show the through line as it moves through the supply chain. We saw the cattle leaving Louisiana State Penitentiary, which is otherwise known as Angola, and there were like 80 cows that left there in trailers. And then we followed the trucks as they were traveling, and they went to an auction house in Baton Rouge and then they were sold and they were then loaded onto another truck and driven 600 miles to a slaughterhouse um, beef processing plant in Texas. And so, you know, from there we were able to figure out, okay, the meat that's being processed there is being sold to Tyson and Cargill and Walmart and McDonald's and, and Burger King. And so we were able to then follow kind of from the prison gates to the end of the supply chain on that particular 
just one shipment. There's so much data out there. You can get a lot of information from public records requests or online, but there's some things you can only really do if you get out there and follow it, kind of put the boots to the ground. And that's kind of what we love to do as well. We're, we're not the best straight up data reporters, but we are pretty good at, and we have learned a lot through our other reporting of, okay, there's a couple ways to do this. And really to get the full picture, you need a combination of those things. It's also really good too for readers to be able to follow this because it's confusing and it's complicated and it's not, we often say that, you know, when we go to dinner parties, we're not the most interesting people there because we're usually <laughs> talking about this boring supply chain stuff. But when you can connect it, you know, like in the case of the palm oil, when we connected that, we connected child labor, you know, we had a little girl who was actually harvesting palm oil instead of going to school in Indonesia. And then we had another little girl in America who was a member of the Girl Scouts. And we were able to show the connection in the, the supply chain between that little girl in Indonesia and that palm oil going into the Girl Scout cookies. That's when I think it resonates with people. People think they understand prison labor in the United States. And they think rightfully that it's legal. So why should we really care about it? But again, it's also because they're not in a position to ask the questions or to see what's happening. We talked to, I think, more than 80 current and formerly incarcerated people and looked at their sentences sometimes. And sometimes it's just these sentences far outweigh the crime. One, I think a lot of people just don't understand that not everybody who's behind bars necessarily deserves to be there or for such a long time, and that certain things like working in agriculture don't really do the things that that prison officials say, like it's gonna prepare them for outside jobs. Well, I don't think there's many people at Angola who are gonna go out and be farmers or ranchers, and many of them are never gonna get out because of the stiff sentences that they've been handing out over the years as well. Legally, they're not considered to be employees. And so there's this whole other system that exists for them that I think we certainly weren't aware of, and I'm guessing most people aren't aware of. And so even though you probably have a lot of people who would argue, okay, I don't see the problem with prison labor. You know, they're in prison. This gives them something to do. This teaches them work ethic or skills or whatever. But then if they're hurt or in some cases, like we found, killed, there's a whole gray area that exists there for them because they're not covered by the same workplace protections that free workers get. We also were looking at um, work release programs and people who are working in the food industry specifically. We are following those inmate transfer vans in part because a lot of correctional departments don't release the names of the companies they're working for. They're some of the most dangerous jobs in the country. And with severe labor shortages, some companies are relying more and more on incarcerated workers. And again, they're going in there without adequate training, often working long hours, having huge percentages of their paychecks deducted. And so it really does seem like a form of kind of extreme exploitation, especially when you're looking at these more dangerous jobs. We always go for stories and look at things where, you know, people are marginalized and there's this kind of underdog situation. 
we try to look at things that are kind of right there on the surface that you come into contact with every day and you just don't think about. Even if other people have reported on these types of topics, we try to turn it upside down and really go at it from a different angle. We really want to be able to shine a light on labor abuses, human rights abuses, human trafficking. These are all things that we have looked at very closely over the years. And I think, you know, there's a disconnect often between America and overseas. And so we've always tried to find ways to make the connection clear and to make it in a way so that people get it and they actually care about it. This has been the story behind the AP story. I'm Jaime Holguin. For more on Prison to Plate, visit apnews.com. I'm Terry Lipschutz, thanking you for listening. Audio provided by the Associated Press. Music is by Skillcell and provided through Pixabay. Be sure to subscribe to Hot Off the Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.